This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. Uh, You can check out my interview with Christine Hanna. Great conversation. That's up there now. You can find Author Magazine at authormagazine.org, and we are funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. To learn more about the PNWA, go to pnwa.org. Yeah, got to have Carla Panciera back on the show. Had her on for, I think it was a short story collection. Maybe it was a poetry collection last time she was on. But she's got a memoir out now set in my native Rhode Island about being raised on a farm. It's a really cool piece, beautifully written. And we had a very fun conversation about memoir and writing. And memoir in particular and short memoir. You know, we kind of got into the weeds a little bit on it because I love to do that myself. So it was a lot of fun for me. And I hope it will be for you. She, uh, Her collection of short stories, Bewildered, received the 2013 Grace Paley Short Fiction Award from the Association of Writers and Writing Programs and was published by the University of Massachusetts Press. Her short stories have appeared in the New England Review, the Clackamas Review, Slice, and other magazines. Her short story, The Kind of People Who Look at Art, was chosen by Juno Diaz as a distinguished story in Best American Short Stories of 2017. She was the James E. Kilgore Scholar in Nonfiction at Breadloaf Writers Conference and is the recipient of an individual artist grant in creative nonfiction from the Massachusetts Cultural Council and her newest book, Barnflower, a Rhode Island Farm Memoir, was released in 2023 by Loom Press, like I said, Got a bunch of poetry collections also. Anyway, very cool person, very good conversation, and I'm glad I get to share it with you now. Enjoy. Okay, well, listen, we got Carla Pensiera back on the show. You were on a few years ago. I don't remember what it was for, if it was for poetry or short stories, something like that. What was it for? Do you remember? I was on for my... Third book, which is a collection of short stories called yeah. Bewildered. But my students were always were also on with you at one point. Remember, you beamed into my classroom. It was when um, I think Fearless Writing was coming out. Oh, yeah. my God. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. That's day. right. Because you were a high school teacher up until recently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Well, we'll talk about all that. But to those who don't know, Carla, she lives. she's written a memoir set in my native Rhode Island. Ah, my home state. Yes, where you, no, you don't live in that, you're in Massachusetts now. Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, but you were a high school teacher for many years, doing God's work <laughs> there in the public schools. Um, but but also a poet and short story writer, um, which you fit in between your busy schedule. Yeah, is that fair description of your life? That is fair. And I will say this now that I have a lot more time and not necessarily sitting my butt in a chair writing. <laughs> so I think it was good for me to have some structure because when I did have time, I used it more wisely. You know, Well, isn't it possible also, I'm wondering about this myself, that so you, you know, you did it around, you had kids. Did you raise kids? I, I, I do. Don't, I have three daughters. Right. Yep. And um you know, you kind of get used to writing in a certain rhythm because that's what's that's what's available to you. And so just because your life changes that rhythm, because I was for a while wrote 
one 400 word essay a day for five days a week, five days a week for my author magazine. I was doing that, right? I only do two a week now, but I would say to myself, you're only allowed 40 minutes to do it. You know, I said, you, you can't spend all day. And I kind of got into that rhythm where after an hour, my mind kind of says, okay, we're done. Yeah. You know, because I so got into that even while we're working on this stuff. Anyway, so maybe, what do you think about that theory that we just sort of find our, our, our way? Yeah, no, I think there's something to that. I mean, I, I, when my kids were little, I would write at any time, anywhere we were, at the playground, taking notes, whatever. But now that I'm retired, I write in the morning. And so yeah. if I can't write in the morning and it's two o'clock and I'm bored, I don't necessarily sit down right. and write. Yeah, you know? well, writing, I just got done teaching a fearless writing workshop for this. And I tell my students, like I always tell them, like it's a certain frame of mind and it's not just something, it's not like my guitar where I can just pick it up and strum it. Like I got to be, be in that place. Does that seem fair? Yeah, I think you do. And I mean, I, I think the good thing is if you start in the morning or if you do have some time that you devote to writing yeah. in the day for the other part of the day, it is in your head. And That's I do right. think that there's some revision that goes on. There's sometimes a log jam is broken because of that. So I do think trying to write something every day is important, but I wouldn't say if you don't write three hours a day and get really amazing stuff that you're a failure. No, 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 there's no, let's not talk of failure, failure, failure. It's, it's overhyped. I don't. Frustration. It's not failure. It's just frustration. That's right. Just a, a, an effort that didn't work this time. So, all right. <clears throat> so you wrote short story. Interesting. So you wrote short stories and poetry. Um, but now, now Carla, we have branched somewhere new. We have a memoir-ish thing. I was so glad to read this, as I told you before, because I am i shouldn't even be talking about something that's not finished, but it's on my mind because it's you and I are similar in that I I love memoir, but I can't work in long form. I just I find, I, maybe I will, but I really don't think it's going to happen. And this book, Barnflower, which is beautifully written, people, I really, go get it. I know my Rhode Island peeps. It's set in Rhode Island. Go get it. How many memoirs are set in Rhode Island? There's going to be like three ever written. Anyway, um, it's not one straight narrative. It's a collection essentially of short, I don't call them essays. They're stories, really. They're short stories, but they're true, let's say. Is that a pretty good description? Yep. Stand, yeah. They were standalone. Most of them were published in magazines before the book came out. So that yeah. so many of them are standalones. Yeah. But they're around the same theme of being raised on a farm in Rhode Island. And you do a funny description of like when you're, first meet the farm people are always like this is here when how long is this thing is here because i grew up there and to me it was just there was providence where i grew up in the ocean and just a lot of empty space in between kind of but not farms but you were on a farm yeah there's still a lot of farms there actually which is good to see um yeah but i lived in westerly rhode island and um most people know that for a tourist town, Taylor yeah. Swift has a home there. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Not in my section of town. <laughs> we are we were landlocked. And so you drove off of Route One down our very narrow lane, and then our land sort of opened up. And so yeah, people had lived there. Even my mother, who um before she met my father, she had heard there was a farm there. I mean, this is a mile away from the house she lived in. Uh she'd heard there was a farm there, but she'd never seen it. Wow. It's just hidden away, tucked away. But that experience of being raised on a farm, it, 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 there was more than one story to be told about it. Yeah, yeah. a lot. And, and you know, I think 
it is a farm memoir. It's been great to meet with farmers, but it is a memoir about, it's a coming of age story. It's a story about family and trying to find your place in the world. So people who haven't, I've been happy that farmers have reached out and said, you told our story, but but then I've heard from people who said, I'm a city girl and I didn't think I wanted to read a book about cows and I really enjoyed the book. So it's been good. <laughs> That's great. That's great. What, when did it come out? It came out in April. So not April. Okay. Okay. Um, and so, but like I said, you take, it's, it's a bunch of standalone things that, that hold together. Um, and I was just, t- in fact, this a weekend ago, I was teaching a memoir writing class. And one of the things I will say to my students that are trying to understand, because I kind of break things down to like self-help, personal essay, where the author kind of appears and talks a little bit. And then, at least for some of the stories I read, what I think of is pure memoir, which reads almost like a work of fiction in the first person, right? There's no sense of the author from above coming in and talking to you. And so, this, some of them really read like that. Like it, I could have believed it was a fiction story. I don't mean you're making stuff up, but does that description resonate with you as the way memoir can be handled? Yeah. You know, I live right now, I live in a small town. Um, and I, as you said, I, I spent my professional life as a high school English teacher. There are people in my life who have no idea what my life was like. They don't have any concept. Sure. And even if I say, oh, I grew up on a dairy farm, we had 200 cows or whatever, they can't quite get it. So when I started telling these stories, my dad had died, my um, the farm was gone. And I thought, I want people really to understand. And, it, and I really wanted to be able to sit down with people and say, we had this cow and her name was Darcy and she got homesick and broke down all our fences trying to get away from us. You know, <laughs> right. I, mean, I, I, want, I wanted people to know it was, you know, again, it's other, it's very different, but at the same time, there are lots of things you would recognize about this life. But now, see, it's interesting that you say that, because one of the things I will tell my students <laughs> is <laughs> when they want to write memoir, I'm like, nobody cares about you. Nobody cares about your life, but but they care about themselves and they read your book for themselves. They for, Like there's what they can take from it. So like nobody really cares about Carla Pence. Well, of course, we care. I I care about you. Hey. Our friends, your friends and family care about you. But the reader, you know, they can't, they're in it for themselves. I, and I, uh-huh. I really do believe that in the best sense. And so, and why I love your, the way you tell your story is it feels like here, it, read it like you would read a story, a fiction story. Read it for the enter- read it for the engagement, read it for the portraiture. You know, whether you ever have met me or not, you can read it that way. That was my experience of the book. Good. Thank you. Yeah. Well, yeah, it should be. Okay. Well, so when you said, okay, I got enough of these, did you have to say, well, there's enough, but it's not enough. I need like three or four more. Did you have to go in and, and find a few more stories to tell? Well, okay. It took 30 years. Ah! <laughs> I mean, I didn't set out thinking that I was trying to write short fiction. I was really struggling. And I went to the University of New Hampshire and and what we had to do freshman and sophomore year in English class, we had to write a five page piece of nonfiction. So it could be memoir, it could be regular essay. And, you know, in the beginning, that seemed impossible. But now that's sort of a go to for me, like I can do that. And I can do it pretty quickly. And I like doing it. And I trust it and doesn't fill me with dread or fear or anything like that. And so when I got stuck with the fiction, I thought, you know, maybe I should go back to nonfiction. And I could tell. And again, I, it started with this cow named Darcy, who was our cow, had been raised by a 4 her and then he brought her back to our farm. And she wanted to get back to where he was and her calf was. And she kept breaking all these fences. And I'm like, I think I can tell that story. 
Um, and so I told, you know, I probably banged out maybe five or six of those in that first couple of years. And it took a long time to get them published. And, you know, I, I kind of gave up hope. And then as people read them, they'd say, well, you know, you could do a book, but you really should do more about your mom. So then I would write a couple of those. And then, you know, in the meantime, I was working, I raised three children, yeah. I wrote the other books. Um, and I and I would get these like, oh, an agent would pick it up or another agent would say, I'll take a look at it. And, and you know, these things would happen and before I knew it you know, almost 30 years had gone by and I kind of didn't want to give it up, I think is at the root of right. it. Yeah. I was, every time I opened it, I was back at the farm and I was with my parents and it's kind of hard to leave again. <laughs> and so, all right, well, so tell me the tale of how it, then it came to be after all this, you know, you know what it reminds me of? You may not know him. You know, Carl Marlantes, he's a West, he's a Seattle guy, but he wrote a book called Matterhorn about Vietnam. It was a big deal when it came out a bunch of, and it, he, he wrote it like after Vietnam, after he'd been there and it took him until like 2008 to publish the thing. I mean, it was, it spent about 30 years when people are like, no one wants to read about Vietnam and all. This. Anyway. So your, your, your Vietnam story is uh, perhaps this. So how did it finally come to be? Like what, how did you break through on it? I mean, I guess a lot of other things had been put to bed. I had been working on a novel. It didn't sell, but you know, every time an agent looked at it, I had to revise it. I was just right. immersed in other things. And then yeah. finally, um, my mom was getting older. My um, she she died before the book came out, and I thought, you know what? I'm a, I need to finish this. I mean, I yeah. keep talking about it, and I just I need to finish it, and whatever it takes. And I had this goal a few years ago to to have it out at at least ten places at a time. And when it came back oh. in three or four, to put it back out there again, and um, and I kind of didn't know how to market it. Like I wanted to call it a memoir, but it is right. individual. Pieces, but if you say individual pieces, people won't look at it, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it was really hard. And then there was a local press that I had sent it to many years ago, and they they didn't want to see it at the time. And this time they were like, "We'll take a look at it." And I thought, "Okay." Yeah. Okay, and so that was it. This is a Rhode Island press. No, it's a, um, a Merrimack Valley. It's a Massachusetts press. Oh, okay. been, it's called Loom Press. They've been in business for over thirty years. But... Oh, nice. Okay, and you liked the working with them? Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's a, that's just as simple as just plugging away. That was plug all yeah. plugging away. Keeping keep a, a substantial spreadsheet about where it's gone and what people oh, have said. Oh, God, the spreadsheet. The spreadsheet. <laughs> I've never done the spreadsheet, but perhaps I will. Uh, so I want, let's get into the weeds a little bit, can we? Do you mind? Because you and I are, do the same thing, which is we write little stories. And we were like, I can't do the long form. I want to, but I like, I believe in the short form. I like it. But here's what I always think. The, the For me, the most challenging part, and I want to hear your take, is the ending. In other words, I I care. I think the ending is everything to me. I, and getting it, because I can tell the other part. The other parts seem easier compared to the ending, I think. What, what are your thoughts about Because that's, to me, where you really deliver the goods or don't. But I don't know. Does it? Do you think differently about the ending than you do the other parts? Do you have any particular feelings about it? I, what I love about writing nonfiction, I don't know why I don't feel this way when I write, when I write short stories, it's absolute agony and pain and it's bitterness. It's very <laughs> tough. But when I write a short, uh, an essay, I trust that whatever I put in there will eventually reveal itself to me. Yeah. Like I'll yeah. figure it out. And if I, if I go on a tangent or if I say, oh, that reminds me of whatever, I know eventually it's going to tell me what it's about. And when it does that, then I can go back and I can sort of fix it. Right, right, right. And bring out those other threads. So yeah. it's not really the ending. It's just kind of 
the, and, and I don't do this with poetry. I've written novels. I don't do this. It's, it's just that, I don't know, the essay form, I just go, well, the reason you write an essay is sort of to figure something out about yourself yeah. writing it more yeah. so than a genre. And so I just kind of trust that. And... Do you have, do you usually start with say, I'm going to write about that. I mean, you, you said, for instance, like the time your cow wanted to go home, like you just start with like, I'm going to write about that thing that happened. And then I'll just with something that small. Do you start with that small, a little kernel? Yes. And, and, you know, in that, in that particular case with that particular cow, you know, it's not, obviously it's not just about. No, no. <laughs> you know, all of us and the kind of wanderlust you have. And the first time you realize that you don't have to live in the same town all your life. You don't have right. to be part of this life, this wonderful life that your parents have created for you. If that's not the life you want. I mean, there's that realization and at the more I wrote about, you know, the cows, because that's how it started. I go, oh, I can write about Darcy. I can write about 29. Right. I can write about Dot. Oh, right. Okay. And I realized, oh, this is about, really, it's about my dad and his, yeah. you know, this, and this way of life that so many people have had to abandon. Um, you know, it's, it became kind of a part of, like, it's, it is my personal history, but I also think it's very much history. Like, sure. we don't have small family farms anymore. Not They're many. Anymore. Not many. Yeah, they got... And they get gobbled up. Well, uh, so that, you know, it's interesting too, is that you, when you write a story, you say, okay, I'm going to write about that cow going away. Or I'm going to write about this thing my mom did. You, you, one interesting thing compared to fiction is you you know what happened. In other words, you, you, you in a way, you have most of the, the physical thing is sort of there. But I always think, well, now let me go find out why I'm at. Like, there's no discovery in the physical, although little things may come up. And I'm sure... Does that happen to you where you're writing along and you go, oh, right, right. There was that thing that was hanging there that you don't see it until you're back in your old living room or whatever. Yeah. People always say, how do you remember so much? And I think, well, I don't know that uh, this is not going to stand up in a court of law. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, oh. Somebody's got a videotape. I'm going yeah. on. Right. Right. But the more that you do right, the more you remember. That's what I tell my students. Yeah. All the time. And you can't say, I, well, I don't remember anything until you start writing. And once you do, it's like you've, you have re-entered that space and now you're, it's almost 3D. You can look yeah. around. Yes. You, yeah. It's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, and if you don't remember specifically what you had for dinner every Tuesday night, you certainly know the kinds of dishes you were served when you were a kid. That's that, right. that, you know. There's always a certain amount of invention. It's okay. Like dialogue. Nobody knows. You got no. You don't. You don't know what was said. You kind of know what was said, but not really. And so it's okay. We all. Nobody cares. It's yeah. in journalism, but it it is interesting. What I find fascinating, of course, is the fact that it's discovery. It's still discovery. That you're still trying to discover. Like, why do I want to tell this story? Because it's not just because that's kind of cool. It's not enough, obviously, and that's not why you want to tell the story. And so that discovery to me is the I, I I'm in the known land but there's still discovery happening. And you also have to figure out, you know, to, to think about dialogue. I know what my parents sound like and what right. other people sound like, but now I have that job of trying to get people who have never met them to understand their cadences. That has to come back to you. And yeah. again, you know, I haven't heard my father's voice in 32 years, but right. when I'm writing what he, I know, I mean, I know some of those lines in there are very, very like word for word. This is what he said. And others, right. that's his rhythm. That's his, those are the, that's his word choice. Those are the things he said, you know, I think it's, it, it is true to him, even if it's not necessarily true to that exact second in that exact yeah. scene. Yeah. The truth, we cannot let truth 
be an obstacle to storytelling. I mean, I always feel like I want it to be true. Like I was just working on something this morning and I was like, Bill, what's the actual truth of what you're writing? Like, don't make something, like don't make up drama that wasn't there. Don't make, like what is, there's that truth, which is what I'm interested in. And then there's the truth of what happened. And it's like, man, I can't worry too much about that because I, I just don't know. I just don't know. I mean, my favorite book to teach is uh, Tim O'Brien's Thing They Carry. Things oh, they carry. okay, yeah. And when he's, I think it's in the the chapter, uh, How to Tell a True War Story. And he says, I want you to feel what I felt. And to me, that's the mantra of a memoirist. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, obviously that wasn't a memoir, but, you know, when you tell a story, that's what you want. And if it's fiction, you want people to feel what your characters are feeling. And if it's memoir, it's the same. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Because that's, because, you know, I, I always teach my students, which is like, the only thing we care about is how we feel like in truth. We may not know that, but like we want to feel good and we don't want to feel bad. Like that is just constant. And that's true for our characters too. And so how do you feel? And I always say that like when I'm writing memoir, I'm like, okay, I know what happened pretty much. And I know how I reacted. Why? Now my job is to say, why? How can I understand why I was upset? Why I was worried? Why I was agitated? Because I often don't know. I have to get into what I was thinking, what I believed, right? And what whatever that is, is probably universal. And that's where the reader, yes. that's yeah. your contract. I mean, as I said, you know, if I, I, you know, my parents and part of that book, they separate for a while. And I know lots of us have been through situations like that, upheavals right. in our family in some way. So yeah, this is my particular unique story of that mm-hmm. happening. But everybody else has their own story, but the feelings are the same, that kind of fear and confusion and uh, blindsidedness that you might feel or yeah. that you might feel. Yeah. That's yeah. that's very universal. Absolutely. I would say we're looking, we're looking for the universal in the particular. Yeah. You know, we're looking for that universal love, loss, fear, yep. desire, whatever it is. So you taught for years, high school, very particular kind of thing. I, I yeah. probably complained to you about my experience teaching high school the one time I did it <laughs> and said, I don't know how you do. But so you, you retired from that. But oh, you're a wonderful author. Do you do you go and teach writers? Do you go and teach at writers conferences, writers workshops? Do you ever try to do any of that? Not so far. Kind of doing oh, come this. on, I mean, Carla, the world needs you. I would, be- I, would love, I would love more than anything to help teachers feel more comfortable teaching poetry. I think that's a need. And I would okay. love to do that, but I don't know who's going to hire me. If anybody's watching, you want to hire me, I, let me know. I will come and I'll travel places too, because I want to see places. Yeah. But what I did this year, so the book came out in April. Um, I retired in June yeah. and I've been on this incredible, like self-designed book tour. And I've yeah. been I've done lit fest and things, but I've been to county fairs, to corn mazes. To oh, corn- you did the thing. Oh my God. How's that I, going? It's so, so fun. Yeah. I've met- Amazing people. I've reconnected with people. I, you know, my former square dance partner <laughs> in 4-H, the kids in my 4-H club and their families and their grandchildren at this point. Um, I went to the University of Vermont and I, I met 19 of the young women in their agriculture program their, and their dairy management team. See, so my, okay, I'm having two thoughts simultaneously as you describe this to me. The first is, you go, oh, that's great. You're thinking creatively out of the box, but then I picture you at a county fair and my and my palms begin to sweat because it's like I feel like 
the, the, the people are just saying, what, who, a book, a what? We're, no, give me some cotton candy. And I don't want to sit down. I fear that it would just, you'd be like a fish out of water there, that it would be a very awkward and unpleasant experience. But apparent, apparently not. No? No, I'm home. That's where but, I spent. But, people, but, but you got a book. You don't have a hog or a cow. So do people, what do you, did you do like a reading? What were you doing at these places? Um, well, the two fairs I went to, I set, I just set up a table and I put up our old farm sign and I, um, you know, had the books out. And the first fair that I went to was a fair that I had shown at many summers. I, okay. I know as one of my friends said, <clears throat> you're going to know the, the family names, but this is, these are several generations later. Right, right. right. She, her grandchildren were there, for example, and she and I were the same uh, 4-H club. And it was true. And and so I met people who just were interested in farming, but I also met a lot of people who, you know, remembered my dad, knew my dad, you know, for those of you who haven't read the book, uh, my right. dad developed a very famous bull. And if you're interested in dairy history at all, everybody knows this bull. And so- <laughs> say, oh, Alto Pantiera, I, you know, we had an Ivanhoe daughter, the bull's name is Ivanhoe. And um, so, yeah, people are, people will come up to me. Um, we have a, uh, one of our very famous cows, it was a cow named Misty. And I was at actually, because um, I will go anywhere. I was <laughs> at a council on aging and um, I got invited by one of my, this wonderful family friend. Um, they had cows growing up and we knew them and she invited me and she, I sold, I can't even tell you how many books. It's embarrassing how many really? books. People were so great. And at the very end of my talk, this man came up to me and he said, I just want you to know, I got to give Misty a bath that the famous uh, cat. Wow. And I said, oh, and he tells me the story about my dad being at the Big E in West Springfield, Massachusetts, which is the biggest regional fair in the Northeast. And um, he was helping my dad out. My dad handed him this. It would be, you know, she's a, like a famous supermodel kind of a cow. people. You don't know this, but and I certainly didn't know. It, we know it now cows can be famous too. certain circles, certain yeah. circles. And so you went around because I, you know, to me, the, the saddest sight is an author sitting at some table with a pile of books and people just hurrying by, not making eye contact with them. Right. Yes. But that wasn't so much. Sounds like that wasn't so much the experience for you. No, you know, and, and, and in fact, the only time that did happen was when I was at a book fair with other authors. Yeah, yeah, right. There's just too many. <laughs> so you were yeah. an oddity. They were like, what the hell is this? Well, that that's good. It's good. And so so you've had a fun time talking to people about it, get, going around. Had a blast. You know what? Actually, Daniel James Brown, who wrote Boys in the Boat. So he's a, he's a Washingtonian guy. So I met him at conference and that he got a big advance on that book and you know but it wasn't actually selling that great at first and he he what he did is he after he did the the normal thing of bookstores he started going to rowing clubs now which used to be huge not so much anymore but they're up but he would just go to these rowing clubs and because they were rowers like oh they got interested but then their moms and girlfriends got interested because a lot of them were the men and they are always looking for something to a have book clubs with, and also to give their husbands and give you know because what he, oh it's a book about rowing and Nazis well that's a guy book, and it kind of, and according to him that was kind of how it ended up finding its way by going first to the people who were most like it. So you kind of did the same thing as Daniel James Brown. Now you see, see, I did, and so strange things have happened because of that. You know, and again, I I mean I I don't think my book is going to sell quite as many copies as Boys in the. Well, probably not, but you know. I know that there's a movie in the works, but <laughs> um, 
you know, again, like I, there was a farmer from Missouri who contacted me via Facebook and he said, you told the story, I, the exact same thing happened to us. We had a famous bull, still couldn't, you know, couldn't save us. He said, but I read your book aloud every night to my girlfriend while she makes her jigsaw puzzle. And, wow. loved and I was so, like, how does you know, that feel? How does that, that feel? You know, I don't, I don't, I guess a long time ago, I, you know, I realized that really writing isn't about, for most of us, it's not about making a living. Most people can't make a living selling books and I, and kudos to those who do, because they make it possible for those of us who write at smaller presses to exist. Right. But what, I mean, especially in a story about my family and our lives and my dad, and um, those have been the best comments, like, you know, that, that people reach out and say they've read it out loud or they've read it, um, twice because it reminded them of things and yeah yeah it's very it's always mystifying to me i mean i know people read my stuff and get stuff from it and i get something from it writing it obviously but it's always just a little magical and surprising (laughs) i'd someone i mean i know i get it but i still am so grateful every time i hear from someone you know every time all right so uh finally after 30 years suckers out and it's in having a nice little life yes uh where is your creative attention now you're retired you can just kick back just go to the coast and stare bird at the watch. ocean it's some bird watching bird watching but oh come on you get bored and so where is your creative attention going these days you're gonna go back to the misery of short stories you're going to stay with the personal. See, we got to come up with a different word than essay. I hate the word essay. I don't like it. It just, it's too academic and too dry. I feel like what I'm doing is more, and I think, and certainly what you are doing is more akin to the energy of fiction and the the creative energy. I don't like, I don't know what the word is, but I don't like essay anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think essay has a bad connotation because of my people, teach English teachers, right? You have to write an essay for school. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, no, I mean it's storytelling, I guess. Yeah, uh, I gotta yeah. come up. I gotta come up with the word. I gotta come up with a new word. But anyway, so what do you think? You gonna go back to short stories? Keep cranking. Um, on the what are you gonna do? I right now I'm working on a novel, and I have a collection of poetry that's done and is out now. Kind of looking for a publisher as well. All right, all right, all right. Publishers, get on it. Come on, <laughs> wake up, people. Wake up. Get a publisher book. All right. Well, that's pretty good. Okay. I don't remember what you answered before, but I got a, one more question for you, Carla Pensiera. Is it this Pensiera? Pensiera. Pensiera. Right. I got it right. Uh, see that Italian name? A lot of Italian people, a lot of Italian names roaming around Rhode Island. Uh, oh, yeah. A lot yeah. of Italian names. You don't think of them on a farm, but there's certainly a lot of, uh, if anywhere you're going to find an Italian farmer, it would be in Rhode Island, I think. Yeah. So, uh, okay. But I want you to think about all the writing you've done over your life and if all that writing has taught you anything about being a human being it's taught you what i think what it has taught me is that anything that has meant anything in my life has had to do with a community and i say that about writing because i always envisioned writing to be this solitary pursuit and then you write a book i mean i always wanted to be a writer but my image was you know you sit alone and that you're quiet study and you write your book and then you send your book off and somebody publishes it and it's out there doing its thing and you're back writing something else. And, and it's really, you know, writing. I mean, I love meeting other writers. 
in working with other writers. I love talking to people about books, readers. I love, you know, whether they're reading my book or not. I'm, you know, I've, I've, I've um, run the local book club at the library here for 20 years. And I just oh, love those conversations so much, um, you know, talking to kids about books and language and the importance of language. It just is this kind of, you, it makes you feel part of this community. And part of that is, again, when somebody says, they love something that you've written or something that you've written has resounded with them in some way, you know, you're like, right, we are all in this sort of together. And uh, that kind of connection that you make through writing, that's probably, that I, that's probably what I learned. I mean, when I was a kid and I, I loved books so much and I was a writer and I didn't know anybody else who did. And I felt kind of freakish and it, as if it wasn't freakish enough to be the only kid in my high school who <laughs> house, drove tractors, all that stuff. <laughs> You know, but then I realized, no, you're you're the same really as everybody else. You just, this is what you do. Yeah, so. I like it. I like it. We are part of a community. It, it's weird, something so solitary, but it does, it does. I, I think it's one of the ways I connect with the world. It's one of the ways I feel connected to the, is by doing this oddly solitary thing, but it does help me connect. Carla, you're awesome. Congrats yeah. on the book. See okay. people, it, it just stay with it. 30 years. Come on, keep going. Why not? Why not? Yeah, I mean, you don't, don't, don't start out and say, you know what? I'll give myself 30 years to write this book, but if that happens, okay. So what? So what? So what? Paula, thank you so much. Thank you, Bill. Yeah. Community. We're in this together, people. Even as we sit all by ourselves in front of our computers writing away. Yes, we're still in it together. I love that answer. Great conversation. Hope you enjoyed it. I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. Thank you, my friend. And thank you, all of you out there. Thank you for tuning in and, uh, you know, listening, being a part of this community. And so until next week, until next week, please, please go find something you want to do and then 